0: Hey guys, I hope you're all enjoying this podcast. I know I'm really enjoying doing it. It's my favorite thing to connect with people and go deep and see where our journeys overlap and how we can inspire each other through connection. And if you've ever thought about doing a podcast, I invite you to try it. It's really easy. And the platform that I'm using to create this podcast, Anchor, makes it really simple. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now, Anchor can match you with great sponsors who wanna advertise on your podcast, which means you can get paid to podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now by reading this ad. So if you've ever thought about it and you have an iPhone or a desktop that you can record podcasts at, try it right away. It's really simple and fun and it's a great way to connect and build community. Now back to the podcast. Welcome to the Souls of Los Angeles podcast. New city, new vibes, but the journey continues. Onwards and upwards. Life is a gift. Preserve the present. ran at Ceremony Meditation, and this is the beginning of a podcast series just to deepen our community connections, and when I was thinking about doing this, I thought Sada would be the first person to start with because I really enjoy her gong class, she's a gong master, and she's very insightful, and I feel like I learn a lot from her whenever I interact with her. And that's secretly the, the main reason I want to do this, is just so I can absorb your knowledge. So thank you for being here.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah. So I guess my first question is, you're a gong master. What does that mean? And how did you become a gong master?
1: Well, my path to playing the gong is one of those universal accidents. I think the better place to start really is uh, coming into being a yoga teacher. And that process for me was very organic. How it all began was My father died unexpectedly, and one of the last questions he asked me, I had spoken to him on the phone a few hours before he died, was, are you having fun? And my father would die a few hours later, and for the next year, I couldn't let that question go, was I having fun? And it was because the truth of the answer was that I was not. I had this job that was envied by many. I had a life of great freedom and experience, but it wasn't enough. And so I took a year off. And during that time, I intended to explore what it was for me to have fun. But I basically sat at home all by myself in my house and just fell into this really dark depression. And after spending about $12,000 in therapy, I finally said, I'm just going back to work. Go back to work and let it all happen organically. And I got a job, which required me to take uh, an international flight. And I was standing at the airport, and as I was looking for something to read while I was on the airplane, there was Christy Tarlington on the cover of Time magazine in some funky yoga pose. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to start doing yoga because I can do yoga anywhere in the world, no matter where my job takes me. And at that time, I started doing hot yoga because if you've ever done Bikram yoga, it's 26 postures. I don't care what language the teacher is speaking. You know, it's just this flow of 26 postures. And so um, I started there and uh, wanted to do teacher training with Bikram yoga but work happened and I couldn't and so then I decided to try Hatha yoga and I worked in Hatha yoga for a while and attempted to do teacher training in Hatha yoga and I found that it there was so much down dog I couldn't move my fingers in the morning so I had to give up Hatha yoga and basically what it was is me just sitting down And going okay I'm gonna be in Los Angeles of September I don't know what it was 2001 2002 teacher training at that time and kundalini yoga came up and so I had never done kundalini yoga before and so here I am first day of teacher training sitting there and um, trying to figure out what world I had landed in because it was so very different than anything that I experienced before but what happened was I was to meet a woman who owned a yoga studio. So um, my third Kundalini day, experience of Kundalini, I taught my first class. And from that point forward, I was teaching two classes a week. And because I was a new teacher and I really didn't know what I was doing, it was very rare that I had students show up. Mm. So. Because it was 7 o'clock in the morning, I had nothing to do. I decided to teach myself how to play the gong. So that's how it all happened. Is just waiting for myself to cultivate and develop as a teacher of of yoga. I started playing the gong.
0: <laughs> that's a really interesting journey to get to the place where you taught yourself something. Yes. It's like, it's like a full circle. Completely. Yeah. So... I have questions about your story. So what were, how old were you when this started? When you're, I guess the beginning of the story was your dad passing. How old were you then?
1: 38. 38. I had just turned 38.
0: Okay. And what work were you doing then?
1: I was in the corporate world. I was a consultant at that time. I was a technical writer in the telecommunications industry. About as far away from yoga as you could get.
0: And then you took that year off and then you came back and did you do the same same profession? Same job. Same job. Mm-hmm. And then you started this yogic path. And then how was it that you were able to start teaching in your third day of like doing something. That doesn't make
1: sense to me. Yeah, it doesn't make sense to me now either, now that I look back at it. Mm-hmm. You know, all I can say is is that woman simply saw something in me. I never took t- teacher training to teach. That was never my intention. Mm-hmm. But she saw something in me that uh, needed that experience, and for some reason I said yes, because it was traumatic. I, I work with people now, and I tell them I would judge how well I was doing on that weight by how many dirty Kleenexes were on my passenger seat by time I arrived at the studio because that's how frightening it was for me to uh, to speak publicly
0: (laughs) that's really funny because it seems so natural now you know it's not just the speaking naturally but I feel like your shares after class are always very intimate whether you're sharing your personal stories or whether you're like speaking from what you ascertain from other people's energetic field, you know, that's an intimate thing to be like, you know, I see this about you or I feel this thing, you know, about your presence or your energy.
1: Well, I, I, I think the, the question and that is begged in that is uh, the assumption on your part that that's me speaking because I don't consider it to be me. Hmm. I consider it to be spirit. It really has nothing to do with me. Mm -hmm. You know, when I'm in that capacity, when I'm teaching, I try to get out of the way to the best of my ability and simply listen. Because I believe spirit is speaking to us all the time, but we're not giving that space to listen. And what I, I have this rule, if I hear something three times, I have to say it out loud in a classroom arena. And um, that's really how I've cultivated that. It's deep listening. And I think we're in a point of history where um, very few people listen or listen well.
0: Yeah. Listening is a superpower. And I think it's challenging, especially in this time. Like deep listening is challenging because we have so many things pulling in our attention and I feel like deep listening requires stillness and people myself included have a hard time being still sometimes
1: exactly Mm hyperstimulation you know um I even commented to someone the other day I mean you watch people go to the restroom these days and they bring the phone with them I mean even when you go to the restroom you can't tolerate not being stimulated in some way
0: I'm guilty of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, mm-hmm. Okay, so let's go back to you starting to teach yourself the gong because there was nobody in your class. Mm-hmm. What was that like?
1: Basically, um, you know, at Ceremony, we have a number of sound baths a week. And my experience at that time was I would go to people's classes that I knew played the gong well, or that I liked the way they played the gong. But I would not lay down on my mat. I would sit up and watch them play the gong. Mm. And so in the beginning, that's what it was, was that I was just mimicking what I was seeing them do. Because not only that, every gong is different. Each gong has its own personality and it's about getting to know that gong. But um, because there were no books, there were no lessons or anything on the gong at that time, you know, all I could do was observe other people and then try to replicate those sounds on the gong itself until I got to the point to where I had some confidence and I was like, okay, let's just see where this goes. I know when people finally started coming to those classes, a lot of them were, would say, gee, you certainly do play the gong for a long time. And, it's, I, you know, I don't know if that was good or bad. I didn't ask because, you know, I mean, I had a mission. I wanted to learn how to play the gong. And so uh, I apologize to anyone <laughs> who I tortured in those days as I developed my craft But the big shift was finally a few years later, and it was probably about five years later, when I had a man come to me and um, he wanted me to play the gong uh, for a a half an hour to 45 minute session for him. And that's when things really shifted.
0: Hmm. So before meeting that man, did you have an internal sense of accomplishment because like, you know, I think you describe yourself as a gong master now, which I would agree with because I've been to many of your sound bass and sound bass in general, but at like what point did you recognize I'm really good at this or I'm at a certain level of craft?
1: Um, I worked at this studio a number of years ago now and um, all of the gong masters all male they were all men Hmm. and it first came through commentary of student base that my gong playing was very different and I began to ponder whether it was simply because I'm a woman and so the vehicle through which I'm playing is different and it was an internal conversation as to whether a woman could really even be labeled as a gong master, because there were not, most of the women didn't, teachers did not play the gong. And, um, you know, to that I, of course, have to bow to my father because I was always told that I could do anything a boy could do. And so, My intention was just simply to bring it and to just see how far I could take it. Mm. And it's really the love for the instrument that has carried across time and brought me to where I'm at today.
0: Sounds like you had a special relationship with your father. Yeah, I did. Uh, Where are you from? Chicago. So you are born in Chicago, mm-hmm. and um, what was your mother like, did you have siblings, where in Chicago did you grow up?
1: I was born in Chicago proper, but when I was five, we moved to the suburbs, a suburb named Des Plaines. And, um, you know, I had a Midwestern childhood which meant I was outdoors a lot. And uh, my parents owned a fast food restaurant. And so um, I spent quite a few hours when I was young in, in that place. And I think about it now and I'm like, wow, man, I must have smelled like hamburgers and french fries every day when I went to school. I'm like, wow, you know, that had to be, like, uh, intense for a lot of the kids who sat around me, you know. But it's
0: probably either a really good thing or a really bad thing. You know? like <laughs> exactly. Between, you,
1: know? you know, so, um, but, you know, I, so that instilled in me a work ethic at a really young age. And not only that, is that my parents paid me a, a really good allowance because I was at a restaurant, you know. I was picking up trash in the parking lot. I was working on the cash register with my mother at, you know, 5 o'clock in the morning before school. So, um, you know, I really considered that restaurant to have been formative to, uh, the you know, the woman that I would become in that... Um, Work was very important to me. Doing your job well was really important to me. And um, because I always believe that cream rises to the, the top. You know, so if you bring your A game, that the universe responds.
0: Agreed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've been, you know, we, we forget and remember things and, Especially I feel like I'm at a point in my life where I'm starting kind of a new path. So in some ways you like are in this like learning and research phase and it's kind of very similar to what you're talking about. You're like searching for like what you should be doing until you finally come back to yourself and you're like, I know what to do. Like just be present and show up and like take it moment to moment, you know.
1: Well, I find when I allow that is when I'm happiest because my, one of my biggest cubbyholes is boredom and so I've learned and ultimately that, that is uh, to know yourself is the ultimate quest. And I know that if I start to get bored, I need to introduce something new or shift or change or up my game or something to keep myself stimulated. That I'm a, you know, I'm a seeker. And there, it, there was a large period of time in my life where that was very frustrating to me because I wanted to know why I wasn't the woman who could just settle who could just settle into a, a relationship or settle into work and you know feel nurtured and satisfied and fulfilled. And I was never that woman. And I find the more that I just expand into the fact that um, that isn't my path, the happier that I am. To know that change will be a constant in my life is now something that I embrace versus resist, as I did for many years.
0: Mm. And did you have, or do you have siblings?
1: I have a sister. I have an older sister.
0: Older sister. Mm -hmm. And is your mom still living?
1: No, my mom died a year and a half ago. She was 94.
0: Oh, you got good genes. Mm, True. Yeah. What was your relationship with your mom like when you were growing up?
1: You know, I was always closer with my father than my mother, Mm -hmm. and um, that would make the period of time after my father died rugged, simply because I did not have a really strong relationship with my mother. Mm -hmm. And um, so... Finding that support for each other through that period was uh, was really hard because I didn't feel seen by my mother and I didn't feel that she really knew who I was. And I felt that we had a lot of story going on of who she thought I was and who I thought she was. And until her death, we would be working to break down those barriers, to rewrite story, to come to places of greater healing. Both of my parents left me with profound messages before they transitioned off the earth plane. My father was the question of are you having fun and the exploration of that and my mother turned to me and asked me if I was happy because ultimately that's all she wanted for me was to be happy and I'm still in the exploration of that to really understand what being happy means to me, the felt sense of it, the in expanding into that, into the joy. And to recognize that I am the person who limits that sensation by saying no to myself or resisting or being fearful or not trusting. And so it's been the process of unwinding that to making myself vulnerable on deeper and deeper levels and being okay with that and whatever happens within that space.
0: for sharing that hmm. what was it like with your mother and I'm curious with your sister when you started this yogic path and got into kundalini and the gong like I would imagine that was pretty different than who you were before who they thought you were before
1: Well, I think everyone was a little confused for a while. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, at the foundation of it, what the hell was I doing? But um, I really don't recall having any deeper conversation with family members about it. My relationship with my sister has always been at a distance. So, I don't recall having any conversation with her at all. Mm-hmm. But... Um, What I have experienced is, for being on this path, is the ability for one person to have a big shift and impact on an entire family system without intent. You know, after my father died, every woman in my family smoked, and uh, today, I mean, even my mother before her death, nobody smokes and i i i really do believe it was one person starting that and creating that shift and being a space holder for that that enabled everybody to give up and deal with whatever it was that was keeping them in the throes of that addiction that habit and It even applies to ways of dealing with people and holding space for each other. I think my family holds space for each other very differently now than they did before my mother was alive, before my father was alive. And um, it's not something that ends, but I like to think that we're working on a path of being kinder to each other and being more accommodating for each other's preferences because ultimately our time on this planet is very short and my experience has been is at the end of our lives that's what we're looking at we're looking at how well we've loved we're examining uh, our relationship to the intimate experiences in our life. I don't think we really look at it from what type of job we did or didn't have. But, um, my intention is always to love more deeply. And I realize my reservation is always because I don't know who I will be if I crack myself open even more, even more, even more. Because there's always great solace and comfort in the known. And to really let loose and really let that happen, there's a liberation to it, but there's also the... distrust. And that's about relationship to spirit. How deeply do I really trust I'm going to be okay, everything is going to be okay if I let go and allow more and more and more? Do I have the nervous system to tolerate it, to sit in that? Have I in my meditation practice developed the discipline, enough discipline in my mind so that I stay with my eyes looking up to spirit and trusting and having faith and allowing, or will I fall into the fear-based self? That's my
0: path. I feel your power and vulnerability. I guess I kind of feel like it's the same thing. I feel like vulnerability is the access point to, to power or to receiving. Thank you for sharing yourself. You're welcome. But what about like day-to-day human Sada? You know, like what's one of your favorite leisure activities to do or one of your favorite foods or books or albums or something?
1: one of my favorite things to do these days is to swim you know I try to swim for at least 30 minutes uh, three or four times a week and um, again in the lineage of Kundalini yoga it's believed that you know being in water for at least 30 minutes balances out your emotions and I find that's very true but the glory I also experience in uh, swimming is its breath work simultaneously And um, the more experienced I, I become with yoga, I really seem to resonate with the fact that it is about controlling your breath. Because when you can control your breath, you can control your thoughts. You know, so much about holding your breath is just about relaxing your body, relaxing your mind. And so that's when I find the peace.
0: Yeah, I've had some very powerful experiences with breath work. And it was a gong bath, actually, with breath work. A guy named Guy Douglas. I don't know if you've heard of him. He does sound baths in L.A. But um, I guess it's the traditional. It's like belly, chest, out. Like, <sighs> and you like do that for 20 or 30 minutes I know you're not keeping track of the time he is um, but you do that for 20 30 minutes and you know your hands start getting all tense and you go to these kind of like other places and mm-hmm. I feel like commune at least my experience was commuting with other beings and and then that he yeah, has a gong bath when you stop which I don't know if, if there were words for it really to describe the experience, but it was definitely similar to some, like, plant medicine journeys that I had. had. But the difference is, is, like, I was doing it as opposed to, like, turning over your consciousness to a a spirit, you know, to, like, work through you. So it's interesting to think about because... I feel like ayahuasca has been coming up in my field lately, and I've been curious about whether it was time for me to do it, you know, because over the past few years, I've been offered it several times, and I was like, no, I don't, I'm not interested in these, I hear this like, oh, I was in this hellish realm, and then I was vomiting and all this stuff, and I'm like, yeah, I don't, I'm not interested in that. Um, and then I also hear like Travis and Roxy's story about their experience of it, and um, Travis described it as having like, a, like a, a full body orgasm and not just the full body but just like the energy of the whole space felt orgasmic and he got clear that Roxy was his life partner and that they were supposed to do this work together that they're doing now and I was like well that sounds really beautiful like I like, I like that aspect of it and since I had similar experiences on breath work are doing breath work, I was wondering like can I access these things myself and is the only barrier to accessing them the amount of work I'm willing to put in and I just wanna I just want something else to do it for me, you know? But at the same time it's like we, we do have tools and they're it's not a bad thing. I guess I'm just feeling into is it right for me? Or is is the slower path the breath work? better for me is for taking the stairs versus like taking the elevator, you know, 100%.
1: Yeah. And, um, you know, the master of Kundalini yoga, Yogi Bhajan said, he goes, you know, do this yoga, and I promise you, I'll get you higher than any or any drug. So, yes, there are yogic practices that will, uh, you know, can take you to states that, you know, replicate any plant medicine and you can have the same healing as you have on any plant medicine. But, you know, the challenge with the plant medicines is you never know what you're going to get. So, you can go and have an incredible experience, you know, an orgasmic experience, ecstatic experience, like Travis, or you can go and you can be purging the whole entire time. Right. So, sure, it's, it's dependent upon, you know, where your head is at, where your body is at.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: A whole lot of things. And so, um, and I think there's appropriateness for everything at this time. But it's about listening to your heart and feeling what's right for you versus the peer pressure.
0: Yeah, and in a lot of ways, it feels synchronistic. You know, like I was curious about it. I inquired to someone I trust in the morning, and like two hours later, I was talking to my roommate, and she was like, she was like, "Do you want to do ceremony with me?" And you know in a couple of weeks and I was like "Mm, that seems fortuitous it's kind of the same thing I feel like if, if it if it continues showing up from my experience then there's there's something there and I think that you know there was definitely a time in my life when I was open and I was doing plant medicine a lot and just really like going for it and because at that time I was wanting to get to enlightenment I was like oh I need I'm going to get enlightened so I'm just going to do all these things. And on a DMT experience I had, and um, I closed my eyes and started rocketing through like, the universe at like uh, like my, my energetic body at a speed of which I had like never felt before. And I was like, "Oh, I was like, "Oh, this is cool. It's a little bit too fast. Like, I'm gonna, let's slow it down a little bit." And then this voice said, "You're not controlling this." You wanted to see now sit back and look and i was like okay i'll sit back <laughs> um, and it was a very beautiful like expansive experience and i was in like a timeless realm you know and i've had a few experiences since then and some of them have been like extremely overwhelming you know because your consciousness just gets turned over to something else it felt like a I was a puppet that someone put their hand in, you know, and it's like, there's no option but to surrender, you know, which is, you know, an interesting interesting way to experience it, but um, yeah, I'm still sitting with it. Cause I, I don't think there's anywhere to get, like the only place to get is is here, you know, so it's just like how present can we be in the now and there's no limit to that
1: i agree there's only this moment yeah but i would say it's great wisdom on your part to just relax into the experiment into the experience of plant medicine because when you resist and when you fight that is when you suffer
0: yeah i think that's true in most situations yeah 100%. Yeah. Right on. Was there anything else that you feel like you'd like to share? Anything you're excited about that you're cultivating in this year?
1: That's really the track I'm on right now is uh, I'm meditating as much as I can as much as my schedule allows because I've decided in 2018 that I don't want to think my way through you know um, I'm very grateful to a number of people I've had in my life along the way to be able to say with confidence that I know I'm smart I know I can think my way through anything but this year I want to feel my way into what I am meant to offer and what I'm meant to be doing so I want to go more deeply into the states of being and sharing from that experience versus the doer so I'm excited to see where that leads me
0: good for you yeah, intuition and heart's wisdom. Uh, beautiful. I also am calling that vibration in the intuition and the trust and the adventure.
1: Exactly. And saying yes.
0: Yeah.
1: Because how many times do people get that intuitive hit and then kick it to the curb for some reason?
0: hmm
1: Timing, interference, not possible, doubt, whatever. But yes, saying yes.
0: Well, Sada, I really appreciate your time and wisdom and vitality and openness and enthusiasm.
1: It was a pleasure.
0: It was a pleasure can do it again in a few months and see where you're at then, where I'm at then.
1: Outstanding. So it's to be continued.
0: It always is to be continued.
1: not numb.